Hello and welcome to this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Isaac, and today we are continuing on in our series called We Are Family. And this is a really uh, unique message that we had today because we're both talking about salvation, we're talking about missions work, and what does it look like for God to um, really be working in the rest of the world. And so, you know, um, the Christian Missionary Alliance itself, which is what Baritown Road Alliance Church is a part of, has always been about sharing the Gospels overseas. And so Pastor Dave is going to teach on the importance of international missions and what Baritown Road is doing globally. Uh, And so as you listen to this message, I just hope that you're encouraged because you're going to be hearing some just exciting things about what God is doing in this world. And um, yeah, we really are praying that this would be an encouragement to you, that it would help you to see that this is another part of what it really means to be part of the family here at Beartown. Hey, if you want to know anything that's going on this fall, because we're officially in the fall, it's hard to believe, you can go to BeartownRoad.org slash events. You can also see a video version of this podcast upload to our YouTube channel and our Facebook page or our website at BearTopRoad.org. And so without further ado, let's jump into this message titled, Get Global. As Katie said, if you're a first-timer, welcome to the family. It's always a little bit nerve-wracking to come into somebody else's house for the first time. Are they going to make me do something that's uncomfortable? Are they going to make me say something Um, we're not going to make you do any of that. We're just glad that you came. Hopefully, you'll come back next week, and hopefully, you will become part of this family of God, Beartown Road Alliance Church family. So thanks for being here. We're talking about the this local family of believers. This is what we do, and this is what we believe. So this is a series that will take us all the way until November 13th. And if you were with us two weeks ago when we started this series talking about small groups, we said we are a family of small groups, and we started these groups last week. Hopefully, you had a good experience. Hopefully, you were able to get real with one another. And then if you were here last week, we talked about this this truth that we are a family, and we want to be a family that really does love our local communities. And on October 23rd, we're going to do the Church Leaves the Building. So we're going to team up with about 15 nonprofits throughout your local community, this local community, and we're going to do some work projects. We're going to feed some people um, breakfast at an assisted care facility. We're going to do all kinds of really cool things, and there will be prayer in this room during that time as well, because prayer is a work, right? That's a really good work. We talked about Pantry of Angels last week. Love it if we could get some people to go online and sign up for some of those spots. They are in need of volunteers, and I told them, I said, we're going to do our best to try to resource you with people who can serve this great nonprofit. So today, we're going to jump into part three of this series, and here's what we're going to talk about today, that we are a family that makes disciples of all nations. So about 4,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, the God of the universe looked on planet Earth, and he loved the people of the world, for God so loved the world. And... He wanted to be in relationship with the people of the world. He saw all of the brokenness and the pain that was going on. And so he decided to start with one man who at the time was living in this little town called Haran. And he said to this one man named Abraham, I'm going to bless you and you will become a nation that will be a great nation and all of the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
Well, it took a while for Abraham to have children. When he was 86 years old, he had his first son named Ishmael. When he was 100 years old, he had a son named Isaac through whom the promise would be kept. And so Isaac had a child who had a child who had a child who had a child. Eventually, there were millions of Israelites, millions of them who lived in Egypt as slaves for 430 years. And they finally got out of Egypt in the wilderness and... um, they, they learned what it was like to be a follower of God. As a matter of fact, God said to them, I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth, right? You're, you're going to be a bunch of lights so that you can tell people about the greatness and the goodness of God. So they're wandering around in the wilderness for about 40 years. And then finally, at the end of these 40 years, they're on the precipice of the promised land. The, they're on the banks of the Jordan River. And Moses, who was their leader at the time, gave them a speech, and this speech is called Deuteronomy, which literally means second law or a repetition of the law or the copy of the first law. And he had taken what was given to them in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and repeated it to them. And he said, okay, guys, I know there's a couple million of you, and I don't have a microphone, so you need to listen up. We're about to go into the promised land, and I just want to remind you about the goodness of God. I want to remind you about all of those laws, all 613 of them, and I want you to follow them. Here's how he described it in Deuteronomy chapter 30. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and his decrees. So it was conditional, right? Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach, right? It's not difficult. I'm going to try to make this as simple as I can. It's, you know, it's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Actually, Moses came and got the law on Mount Sinai and then came down to the mountain to give you the law. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, well, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. So he says to everybody, everybody got it. Are we clear? Yeah, we got it, Moses. This is good. This is good. Because I look at all of the other nations and I look at their laws and, and I don't like their laws. Their laws are weird, but this is clear. It's good for us. We, we're learning how to function as this brand new independent nation. And so let's go, let's, let's cross, let's cross the Jordan, let's take this land. Now, if you're a parent, right, or if, if you've had a parent, which is pretty much all of us, you know this very simple truth that good parents create attainable expectations that result in blessings or curses. Now, we don't use the word curses anymore. We don't say to our kids, hey, if you don't eat your vegetables, you're going to get cursed, right? We don't say that. We say, if you don't eat your vegetables, you're going to receive a consequence, But the ancient word was curses, and it was like, okay, you guys have a choice. I'm going to make this simple because I'm a good father, God said to them, and you need to make a decision here. So I've set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Just do what God says. 
Obey his clear expectations and you will be blessed. But if you are drawn away to bow down to the other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed and you will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Are we all on the same page? Yeah, we're all on the same page. Let's go. So they cross the Jordan River. They come into the land that is flowing with milk and honey, and life is good. They have a good God. They've got a good leader named Joshua, and they are off to the races. Now, if you've been around the Bible or you've studied Israelite history through the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, you know that the Israelites did not do a very good job of meeting the expectations, right? They failed time and time and time again. They bowed down to other gods. They disobeyed God. And about 800 years after they get into the land, God says to the children whom he loves, all right, you're getting a timeout, right? I'm following through on what I promised. And so he raised up this, this group of people known as the Assyrians in 722 BC, and they come in and they displace thousands of Israelites and they repopulate them throughout the Mediterranean world. And then a little while after that, 586 BC, God's still like, okay, yet you didn't learn your lesson from the Assyrian invasion, and you're still bowing down to other gods. And so, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, come on over here with your army. And he comes into Jerusalem, and they tear down the walls, and they ransack the temple. And they take thousands of Israelites, men like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, and they displace them throughout the Babylonian empire. And they've lost their land due to their disobedience. And then in about 333 BC, Alexander the Great leads the Greek army into that area, and they Greekify the world, and then they displace more Jews. And now you have what's called the Jewish diaspora, or the Jewish disbursement, that the Jews who were originally to stay in the land to be a blessing to the nations are now dispersed as a result of their not following through on their commitment. Now, interesting little bit of history here. About 167 BC, right? So, you know, years after the Greeks invaded, a man by the name of Jewish Maccabees picks up his sword and leads a revolt and actually is pretty successful of getting the Greeks out of the land of Palestine, right? They kick the Greeks out. They rededicate the temple. They name a feast after it, which is called the Feast of Dedication, also known as Hanukkah. And after the Maccabees drive the Greeks out, a group of religious leaders rises up known as the Pharisees, and they come to power in about 160 BC. And these are the, well, the Pharisees are kind of like this, right? They're kind of like the guy in your elementary class. Remember you were in elementary class, and there was the one kid who always followed the laws, and he never got spanked up front, right? He, He just always got straight A's on the test. And when everybody else acted up in class, that boy would rise up and be like, can you guys please listen to the teacher? Can you stop acting up? Because if we obey the teacher, we will get a longer recess and we will have more freedom. Can can you please obey? But the people are like, yeah, whatever, right? And they keep disobeying and they lose their freedom. And so now we... Fast forward to 63 BC, and the Romans are now on the scene, and Pompey literally walks into the Holy of Holies, and nothing happens to him. And the Pharisees are like, 
what is happening here? Can't you guys please just follow God? Because if we follow God, we'll get our land back. And some of the Pharisees actually believed that if everybody followed the law to perfection for just one day, that all of their foreign oppression would go away and they would have a new independent nation. So that's how the, the Pharisees raised up. It was good intentions at first. Actually, the most famous of all Pharisees, most of you have heard of him, was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, right? And here's how he describes himself. This is amazing how he describes himself. He says this, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. In other words, I was pretty much perfect. It's faultless. Like all those 613 commandments that Moses gave us, I've done it perfectly. And he was a zealous, zealous man. So every summer I go on vacation. Last eight years or so, I've gone to uh, New Jersey to the beach with my family. And I typically, well, the last several years I've gone to this church on a Sunday morning, and they had this tagline. It's all over their mugs, their shirts, all over the place, and it says this. It says, no perfect people allowed, which is a great statement, but what about the people who think they're perfect? Are they allowed? Because I, I, I thought Jesus came for everybody, like the sinners, the tax collectors, but also the Pharisees who thought they were perfect, but the problem is the people who think they're perfect are the hardest people to reach with the gospel because they think I don't need the gospel. And that was Saul, this man who was faultless. I mean, he was like perfect. And God thought to himself, I want to get a hold of this guy's heart, but I got to put it in lights. Like I got to make it obvious to him. So this man, again, he's so zealous. He's going into Christians' homes. He's putting them in chains, throwing them into prison because he's thinking, I got to purify Judaism. Because again, if I can purify Judaism and everybody can start to follow the law as was described in Deuteronomy, then maybe we'll get the land back. Maybe God will be good to us. So he's persecuting all these Christians because he sees it as a heretical sect. So one day he gets papers from the high priest in Jerusalem and he makes his way from Jerusalem all the way up here to Syria. And he's thinking to himself, if I can cut off Christianity right here, then maybe it won't make its way to Galatia, Colossae, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Corinth. If I can stop it right here, I can maintain the purity of Judaism. <laughs> but as he's on his way, God's like, I, I got to get his attention because he, he's faultless, right? <laughs> like, he doesn't think he needs anything. So he literally blinds him by the light. He's blind. He opens his eyes his eyes, and he goes from being a persecutor to the church to now sharing Christ with all these different cities and writing letters to all of these different cities because he understands it's my job to be a light unto the nations. And one day he pulls out his pen and he writes a letter to this church in Rome. And here's what he says to the church in Rome. This is so good. He says this, brothers, Christians, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. I still love my brothers, my Israelite brothers. I still got a heart for them. I'm still passionate about this. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based 
on knowledge. They've got passion, but it's headed in the wrong direction. I was at a youth football game recently, and there was a fumble on the field. And this little guy picked up the fumble. And I mean, he was running. And he was, you know, he wasn't stiff-arming people, but he was just, I mean, he's sweating. He's pumping his arm. He's, this kid is on fire. And he almost makes his way to the goal line. And he looks around, and there's nobody near him because he was running in the wrong direction. And I did not laugh at him because when I was his age and I was playing basketball, I shot at the wrong hoop. So I had compassion towards him. And, and he realized he was running. He, you see, he had zeal without knowledge, right? Saul had zeal. He was zealous for the faith, but he didn't have knowledge. He was going in the wrong direction. Now he's back on the right direction. He's saying, you guys have got passion, but you need, you need some knowledge. He, here's how he describes it. He says, that since they, the Israelites, did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They tried to do it all on their own. They thought to themselves, if I'm a good person, if I follow all of these commandments, and if I'm faultless, then maybe we'll get our nation back. Maybe we'll kick the Romans out. Maybe God will give me what I want. If I'm good to God, maybe he'll be good to me. That, that's developing your own righteousness. That's not submitting to the the righteousness of God. And then Paul makes this statement that is so huge. It's so big. He says this, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. That's Romans 10.4. That's how they came up with the the statement 10.4, right? 10-4, 10-4, which means I got it. I got it. You got to get this verse right here. This is huge, right? Because the word end in the original Greek, it literally means end. It means end, termination, the limit at which a thing ceases to be. It's the Greek word telos, which sounds like the word tetelestai, which someday I'm going to get a tattoo that says tetelestai because it's the very last words that Jesus said when he was on the cross. Tetelestai, it is finished. It has been fulfilled. All 613 commandments that Moses gave are done. Christ has ended it, which means the 10 commandments and the other 603 commandments listed in the old Mosaic covenant have come to an end, which is really, really good news. You know why? Because the Mosaic law the attainable expectations went unmet. They couldn't do it. They got the message from Moses, but they couldn't do it. They failed time and time again. And then Christ shows up. Here's one of the first things he does. He gets up on a mountainside. And he's kind of like this new Moses. And he says to the people as they're listening, it's one of Jesus' first teachings probably. And he says, you have heard that it was said. You've heard of what was said, do not commit murder. And the people are like, yeah, that's that's the Mosaic law. If we commit murder, then we'll be killed. And Jesus says, ah, but I tell you, if you hate your brother, you will be subject to judgment. And they say to themselves, that's different. 
Then he says, you have heard it was said, do not commit adultery. Yeah, 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 because if we commit adultery, we'll get stoned to death. He says, but I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And every single guy in the room is like, ah. And then he says, you've heard it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Someone strikes you in the cheek, you get her back. Someone pulls out your eye, you pull out their eye. Someone knocks out one of your tooth, you knock out one of their tooths. Yeah, yeah, we know. That's, that's the old covenant. Jesus says, not so with you. If you get struck in the face, you turn the other cheek. So here's what Jesus said. This is huge. This is huge. Jesus, Christ, created unattainable expectations that he then met. And he needed to create high expectations because people like Saul of Tarsus and people like you and I who think that we're pretty good people, you, know, you ever think to yourself, yeah, I, like I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty close to perfect, right? Like if you would act like me and if you would see the world the way I see it, then everything would be better. Christ created a bar that was so high. The expectations were so high that it forced us to say, man, I can't do it. I have fallen short. I have unmet expectations. It's like telling me, hey, Dave, you need to dunk a basketball. And I would say, okay, I play basketball once a week. But it don't matter how hard I try, I'm not going to be able to dunk a basketball. The bar is too high. This is what Jesus did so that we could come to a place where we would say, I think I need a Savior. I think I need a Savior. And then Jesus says, I got you exactly where I want you. I got you where I want you. Because now you've realized that you're a lawbreaker. Now you've realized that you're not just a mistaker, but you're a sinner. Now you realize how far you've fallen from the glory and the expectations of God. Now you realize how desperately you are in need of a Savior. And now he just explains this a little further. Moses described it this way. The righteousness that is by the law, the man who does these things will live by them. So you could try. You could try but there's a better way. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. This is so cool, okay? He's now hearkening back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Remember I read that just a few minutes ago? Now he's taking Deuteronomy chapter 30 and he's applying Christ to it. And he says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down, right? You don't need to keep getting on a ladder and trying to reach Christ. He's already come down. The, the God of the universe put on, put on human flesh. He has come down, and you don't need to say, who will descend, next slide, who will descend into the deep. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. He's already been raised from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. So, Here's what you need to do. Here's your action step. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Isn't that good news? For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, that you believe and are declared not guilty. 
that the righteousness of Christ, the moment he died on the cross, and you place your faith in him, that he imputes his righteousness to you. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile anymore. And this is a revolutionary concept to the Jews who are hearing this and thinking, well, we're the ones that are supposed to be the light of the world. And Jesus says, no, all Jesus' followers are salt and light to the world. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. And he richly blesses all who call on him for everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he says this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? In this globe, this planet Earth that God loves so much, there are about 7.1 billion people, and anywhere between 2.8 and 3-some billion people have little to no access to this message that I just shared with you, the greatest message that the world has ever known. And so the Apostle Paul says, how can they hear without someone preaching to them, and how can they preach unless they are sent the Latin word missio, which means missions, is the word sent. And then he says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So this, this treasure that we've been given, this message that you are a, a deep, deep, significant, depraved sinner, that falls way short of his high standard, that you've been made righteous, that it's been applied to you through faith in Christ, and you can be in relationship with him and enjoy abundant life on earth and eternal life. It's available to you. And this message has been unheard by billions and billions of people. So we need people who have beautiful feet. Now, I don't have beautiful feet. Matter of fact, my feet are, my, my toenails, like, when I, when I see y'all wearing flip-flops, and I, so not, I look at some of your toenails, and I'm like, I start to get jealous. Like, man, I wish I had toenails like that. You know, like, I wish I, wish I had beautiful feet. Um, actually, let me show you. You guys have strong stomachs? Let me show you this. Let me show you this real quick, okay? Take my shoe off. It's just just to, so you can show my, I can show you my depravity, okay? Oh, look at that. My feet, my feet are, they're covered in the righteousness of Christ. My feet are, my yellow toe jam funky toenails are covered they're covered by Jesus. So my feet are beautiful, not because of my own works, not because I've been walking around in a bunch of grime and I can't get rid of any of this. My feet are beautiful because they've been covered by Christ. And then he says, you need to tell other, 
See if I can put this back on without falling off the stage. He says, you need, you need to get beautiful feet too. And, and you get beautiful feet because of what he's done for you already. And then you need to go get those feet moving to reach all those unreached people. Amen? So we, we're part of this great denomination that I love so much. And I'm blessed to be a part of this called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. This is our tagline or our mission statement. All of Jesus for all the world. All of Jesus for all of the world. And we have this fund called the Great Commission Fund. We've got about 700 international workers who are in 60 countries. You can give to the Great Commission Fund by going to our website and clicking on give. Um, Abby, who's going to be with us next week, whatever you give to the Great Commission Fund, 20% goes to her as she's getting ready to move to Rocky Road or North Africa. Now, check this out. This is fascinating, okay? When you look at a globe, okay, a world, a map of the world, this section right here, right, which ironically was, was the area where, where God first moved in the area where Paul began to do his missions, and now it is largely unreached. More than 80% of the world's remaining unreached peoples are in this area, and Christian and Missionary Alliance workers, those 700 workers, 80% of them are in the most unreached places because we really believe that we got to reach people who have little to no access to the gospel. So for those of you who give to the Great Commission Fund, I want to say thank you. And if you don't give, I want to ask you to consider giving. And let's go ahead and watch this video. It's a group of missionaries that came together just to say thank you for giving. And if you're not giving, maybe this video will inspire you. So let's watch this video together. Well, I do hope that this message has been an encouragement to you. I hope you find yourself uplifted and that you are walking away from this excited about what God is doing, both through our church, but also to the furthest uh, reaches in this world. And so until we are together again, I just want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast.